Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parikh, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of the Future of Application Security. Today, I have a phenomenal guest with me here, Rajat Bhargava from Stripe. Rajat, it's such a pleasure to have you here, and I'm so excited for our conversation today. Thanks, Arshil, for having me. I'm uh, excited as well. All right. So let's get into it. But before we go too deep into it, we just talked about some very exciting list of topics. But before we start them, it would be great if you can introduce yourself to our audience really quick and just talk about where you started your career and how it transitioned over different companies, different roles over a period of time. Yeah, definitely. As you mentioned, my name is Rajat Bhargav and I'm a security leader currently working at Stripe. I lead the scale security assessment team at Stripe. The mission of the team at Stripe is to give confidence to developers in the security of the products that they're building. And we do that by preventing and finding security issues. But the main thing is also maintaining their velocity, right? So that's uh, what I do at Stripe. My journey, uh, actually, I started as a Java developer. And when I was developing code, there was an internal pen test that actually happened of our team code and some security issue was found. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm very intrigued of like, what is this? How can people actually exploit that? And that's where my security journey started because I started teaching myself how to do web application pen testing. And then uh, finally, after a couple of years, I got an opportunity to be a web application pen tester at eBay. And that's where my security journey started. So I started doing web application pen testing and then just application security just sucked me in, right? And then after that, I did all aspects of security where security reviews, doing tooling, that's where my developer side of things came in. Then I did architecture reviews, designing systems and you know, that journey took me from a lot of companies, from eBay to Walmart to Netflix. And then most recently, before Stripe, I was at Twitter. I was the engineering manager of the application security team there, which I led in group. Phenomenal. So when you saw your pen test report as a developer, I'm guessing you were not the one who said it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> Definitely. I was like, this is something super interesting. Like somebody can actually do... Actually, I don't even remember what the actual issue was, but it was just interesting to know that certain things that people can do, which is not intended for the code, right? And yeah. how they can exploit that. Yeah. yeah. So I love talking to especially my guests who come from a software development background because they just have a, such a unique perspective on security and the relationship with developers. Since you've been in both sides of the role, can you elaborate or can you give me some tips on, you know, as a security person, if you want to generate this intrigue and interest from developers about security, how have you seen it being done well? What are your suggestions and how to get that engagement from developers? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. One of the things that actually came easy to me was the empathy for the developers, right? Because I was already a developer and it was easy to be in their shoes. So from a security professional, I think always having, you know, when we talk about security, having security from their perspective, like, you know, they're building a product. Why would they care about security, right? And talk about more about quality of their code. Like security could just be a quality issue. Like, you know, increasing the quality of the code could be just better access. You know, there is no access. That's just code quality. 
So thinking about what they actually care about and then phrasing the security things that you would want them to do in their perspective and also keeping priority in mind. Like they have a lot, you know, so many things going on. So when we have from a security world, so many things that we would want them to do, have a list of priorities, have a list of like ranked, what would we want them to do first, right? Instead of just like sending everything their way in one go. And also making sure like not everything is a fire. Like, you know, if security professionals always have everything that we want the developer to do is like a fire, like fix it right now. And then, you know, that social capital that we have is very limited with them. That gets depleted really fast. So I would always say keep not just developers, but people that you're working with, uh, the stakeholders, it could be program managers, product managers, legal teams, keep them in mind when you're working with them and also developing your program. When you're developing your AppSec program or even security program, work with their perspective. Like, how would they actually take it? Because it's not in isolation that your program is going to be working in. It's going to be working with other people. Right, right. So that's an interesting point because we talked about multiple different personas who have a stake in this, right? Whether direct stake or indirect stake, whether it's developers or the development leads or the managers or the architects or product managers, legal compliance, and obviously application security, product security teams. So that is also challenging because if we have to keep these multiple personas aligned in terms of application security, but at the same time, as application security people, we have a lot of sources of data. We have multiple different scanning systems. We have our own risk assessments, architecture review results, bug bounty results, pen testing results, and things that we just know of. There's this multiple inputs, multiple sources of data, and they're all silos, right, within themselves. And then there's multiple people who need to look at some sort of data, may not be the exact level of detail, but at different levels of abstraction, different levels of detail, different parts of that data. How do you manage all of these multiple inputs and multiple personas who are looking at the outputs? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question because one of the challenges that AppSec or even just security has right now, there's so many tools that you know we run, so many results that are coming in. And because of the results, we're passing it to the developers, maybe without context or without action, right? So one of the projects that I'm working currently on in Stripe for our team is the project of like, you know, having this one infrastructure, like security infrastructure platform that helps consolidate all these tools into this one common place, all the results go in, and also hydrate those results with context. Like, for example, who the owner of a particular maybe code path would be, or maybe a domain that's coming out of like a dynamic analysis project. And adding priority to that result, right? Using the information that you have, for example, what service this issue is in this vulnerability? What services is it in external, internal? Is it like PCI scope? You know, adding that priority and then giving it to the developer. So one of my team members, Alex Garbert, he has this thing that he promotes is that, you know, everything should have context, should be found in a timely manner, and then it should also be actionable, right? So we always try to have that. So use that common entry, priority, add like some kind of a hydration, and then provide those tickets to the developers with the priority that is company-specific. Because these tools have their own, right, you know, severity. Like, DependaBot might say that, you know, this is the most critical thing that, you know, your package fix, but we might not be using it in an external. We might be using an internal. 
So how do you do all that? I mean, have you built an internal system for aggregating all of this and tuning and triaging and prioritizing, right? Okay, so I see you nodding your head. What is the level of investments that you have to make in terms of, do you have to hire developers or how do you maintain all of that stuff? One interesting thing that, you know, now application security that's going through is that first, you know, we were hiring people that were, you know, just security people, like just they purely knew security. Then we started hiring people who knew some little bit of development and application security, and obviously they were really hard to find, right? Now what companies are doing is that the team that we lead are mixed. We have security professionals, we have security professionals who know a little bit of development, and then we have software engineers, right? And that's, I think that's a whole like a good collaboration to have because the tools that we're building right now, for example, this whole priority is we have a team of security professionals that help with the architecture. And then these software engineers take it to another level where, you know, they have a distributed system and they think about like how to, you know, deploy it in a proper way, in a scalable way. And yeah, so that's why that's a good synergy of like software engineers and a security professional. Phenomenal. So since you've been at many really good companies and with solid security teams, have you seen a similar pattern being done before or this is something new that you've worked on? So interesting thing is, you know, all the companies that I work for, there are certain same patterns, but everything because of the company and the context of the company, applicant security changes. It's really hard to just like, or it's not even advisable, just take like what worked in one company and then just put it into your other company, right? So depending on where you are at, any application security program or where the product is at or where we think the security should go in that company is what we want to deal with, like maturity. So for example, with the prioritization is currently we are at a maturity where we want this happen. We have the tools running, we have the results coming in, but we want this prioritization and this things for developers. Like as I mentioned, we have limited social capital and we want to make sure that we use it in a proper way. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the security teams that I talk to, they don't typically have enough resources to build these types of systems internally. I mean, you know, hiring security engineers is hard enough. There's almost never enough of them. And at the same time, in a lot of cases, they also don't have support from the other aspects of engineering organizations for them to be able to, you know, build something sophisticated like this and maintain it and deploy it. I think the challenges are also around you know, writing all these integrations and maintaining data pipelines and maintaining this data architecture. It sounds simple, but it gets very sophisticated, very, very Definitely, quickly. yeah. Yeah, but it's awesome. It's, uh, you know, kudos to you guys for having built all of this internally. You should definitely write blog about it. You know, if you can, definitely. You, time, you should definitely distribute that knowledge within the community. One other related topic that I wanted to talk about was, what do you think about, you know, the current state of application security? I mean, you've been in this space for a long time, working for some of the best companies. How do you see different what it is today as compared to what, you know, we've all been seeing? Yeah. So over the past, like, you know, 10, 15 years, I feel like right now it's very encouraging actually to be in application security because just the fact that there's more awareness in the industry about security and even application security. So the developers are like more aware of the common vulnerabilities. Like they know about OWASP top 10, mobile top 10, right? Like when I started, we had to give education about cross-site scripting, what cross-site scripting was and why we need input validation, right? So right now, it's like all the developers like, already know about like most common vulnerabilities. And also, 
the leadership, right? The company is now that the leadership considers security as a high priority. And then also recognizes actually, I think, like an existential necessity, right? They know that this is important. Sometimes companies can just go poof, you know, because of security. So that's very encouraging that, you know, we security industry is growing. And also there's more training available, right? Like, you know, if you look at Twitter, or if you look at any of the things, it's just like so many, or, or YouTube, there's so many like free resources available for developers or even for like security engineers that is helpful. And also in the past, like there is more emphasis on security by default. Like, you know, I work at uh, Netflix and there's Jason Chan. He's, he always talked about like paved roads, right? Making yep. it easier for developers. Like security by default is coming in. So developers don't have to think too much about security. And also bug bounty. I think bug bounty in a couple of year that came in has changed applicant security a lot too because of this bug bounty more people are interested in like seeing how things are you know being done and also i think it's elevating the security teams as well as you know internally as well to evolve the application security program and also the bug bounty program yeah yeah i agree i mean i 100% see that as well because earlier we used to have a lot of application security engineers do you know, pen testing and triaging and just running tools and scanners and things like that, which are good. They're fundamental things, but they're not exactly leveraging your security expertise. And now that you can give it out to people or tools or systems or automations that can do it at a much better scale, much more in a much more effective way, much more cost efficient way as well. Yeah. That helps security engineers and security teams focus on more sophisticated problems that can be solved. So your tools are getting smarter so they can look, you know, find more things without having to spend more manual effort. And security people can provide their security expertise to dev teams, work on building more interesting solutions, interesting, solving interesting problems rather than, you know, doing manual ditch digging work. Yeah. And also, like, you know, as you mentioned, like before, earlier on, you know, we had to build our own tools internally because those were tools that weren't available. Now there are tools that you can just add to your program. and you know, you get that speciality, you get that expertise, and you can concentrate on the work that you're doing to build your program instead of just like, you know, this is the tool that I want. And having said that, there are certain situations where company-specific things that you actually just have to write, like we do that all the time, where, you know, Stripe-specific, we want to do something that a tool might not do, so we write our own thing, which you'll still have to do, but it's uh, the the environment is much better now. Yeah. Can you give me an example of, like, you just mentioned tools come out of the box with certain capabilities. Maybe give an example of that and an example of something that you had to write specifically for a particular business. Yeah. So I think the perfect example is SEMGRIP. You know, we use SEMGRIP for static analysis and SEMGRIP comes out of the box with a lot of, you know, there's community written things and they have a lot of patterns and stuff. But when you come into the context of, let's say, we use it as Stripe, there are certain things that we had to write on our own, right? For example, for cloud security, we had to write a patterns that are specific to Stripe that are in configuration that we had to write our own SendGrep patterns. Also, like, for example, we have configuration for egress proxies. So when an egress proxy happens, you know, somebody can add rules, allow list, but we wanted to make sure that people have business justification for every allow list. So we wrote SendGrep rule for that where now if somebody doesn't have a business justification in that configuration, a SEMGREP rule shows up and then it's a blocker for that, right? So that's certain rules that we have to write on our own. That's phenomenal. I love that idea. So in the old model of doing things, 
traditionally we would run, you know, some sort of a scanner or whatever to say, hey, we found this AWS configuration that allows egress or whatever it is, or this particular configuration exists, but it shouldn't exist. Now you go file a ticket. Now you bug a developer to actually go fix that thing and you track it, you escalate it, you know, you file SLA tickets and then and eventually somebody closes it and then you have to follow up and validate whether the fix is actually in place. So now you're short-circuiting that entire loop by writing a simple rule in SEMgrep that checks for the business justification being present. I'm guessing as some sort of text regex pattern that you're writing in SEMgrep that checks your config file in, in Git. Right. Right. Yeah. Phenomenal. And if you don't have that business justification, your PR is not allowed to merge or what happens? Yeah. So it's basically blocked. You just need a business justification. And that way, you know, we can always have a paper trail of like, why did we add this domain to our proxy? Right. Why are we doing an egress proxy to the domain? But the other thing that came up to my mind, like while you were talking is, you know, just letting them know about these issues in a timely manner is really important. But also what we want to do further, what our future looks like is we want, instead of like somebody actually fixing it, we want to provide a PR that is like a suggestion like, hey, there's an issue that we found and here's a fix for it. And we want to give you a suggestion, right? Like automatic PR. So we want to get there eventually. And some of our teams in cloud security is actually doing that where they find like a configuration issue and they, they already fix it for the developers and check in the code. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's the next generation of things. I mean, somebody will still have to review that PR and merge it, but yeah, uh, you're doing a lot of the work in creating that PR. Awesome. So I think we were talking earlier a little bit about some evolutions of security. And I think you had mentioned something about security guarantee that you were providing to the business. I think uh, this will be an interesting topic for the audience to hear in terms of what exactly does your team do in providing security guarantees? And first of all, what actually security guarantee means? Yeah, so it's a very interesting concept of security guarantees. Like, you know, when security reviews, as security engineers, when we do security reviews, right, we look at the tech stack, like, you know, how's the tech stack looking like? How's the security of the tech stack? You know, all those kind of uh, systems. But we don't really look into the products and provide, like, think about what security guarantees does a product provide. For example, I worked on a tool which was like an audio meetup tool, right? You know, where there's audio and then people join in. And then they can see like how many people are joined in. Now, as a product, do we give a security guarantee like saying that the people that we see in that conversation are those the only people who can listen to the conversation or they can be somebody else who's listening to the conversation but doesn't show up there, right? So we have to very consciously when we're building a product, think about those security guarantees that we want to provide our users. So, you know, a lot of times when a bug bounty issue comes in and especially with the permissions, right, when there's like an admin permission and there's like a normal user permission and a bug bounty issue comes in, sometimes the security teams are not sure if this permission is actually a feature, is it an expected thing or, you know, if it's an issue, right? So that's where we have to think consciously saying that when we think about from a security guarantee perspective and we're building the product, these are the permissions that an admin should have. And these are the permissions users should have. And it's very clear cut. And when we are building more permissions, we think about security guarantees that we want to provide and then add those permissions in there. And the way we work for security guarantees changes too. Like we have to work with product managers now. Think about like when a product is being created, what we want to give the user a security like flow. Yeah, so it's very 
interesting there. We've done quite a bit there and still there is more to do. But it's, it's amazing. Good. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that space particularly evolves, especially if there are easy ways to provide security guarantees as a service to multiple development teams within an organization. But that's definitely an interesting concept. I think one of the other trends that I've seen increase quite a bit is the evolution of what some people call a security engineering teams, which is a sometimes it's actually within the CISO organization, sometimes it's under the CTO organization. But what they typically do is build security services for the consumption of development, yeah. whether you're providing mm-hmm. authentication authorization services or crypto services or secrets management services or or what have you, right? So some sort of an internal service that makes adoption of security controls easy for the development teams. Yeah, that is definitely happening. And we do that at Stripe as well. Fantastic. I think we had sort of talked about, you know, the too many sources of data, too many outbound things. And that obviously results into multiple security issues, whether it's vulnerabilities or compliance controls or just, you know, security best practices not being followed or what have you. That obviously leads to the problem of what should the developers focus on? Like what is really a priority? Because let's be honest, I mean, developers' primary job is to ship features, right? That's their primary objective. That's what they are measured against. Security is one of the things that they should be focusing on, but that's not the primary job. How do you make it easy for developers to really understand and act on things that really matter to them or to you as from a risk perspective? Yeah, there are a couple of things in there. Like one thing is like, as I mentioned, make it actionable for the developer. Like when an issue shows up for them, give them the full context and give them like the full action of like what it should be. What do they actually need to do? And that it's a, it shouldn't be like something like, you know, just say cross-site scripting and they have to go figure out like what cross-site scripting is and, you know, go search, find in Google, like how to fix cross-site scripting. Basically tell them how to do the fixed cross-site scripting in the context of the company. Like there might be different functions that you provide. So make it very actionable. Again, priority is very, it's easy to say like, you know, it should be prioritized, but it's a very challenging thing. Like how do you prioritize those things? So one of the things that I like is, you know, having a flexible program. Start with something and keep on growing on it. Like, you know, you don't have to have the most perfect thing right away. So the thing that we're trying to do with the prioritization is that we say, takes few rules saying that if the service that an issue is found is an external service or an internal service, prioritize in a different way, right? Or maybe just start with like, is it in a PCI scope or not PCI scope? Then it's a high priority. Start with these few rules and start building up on it then, right? And the other concept there is also like, is this issue found on a domain that is being attacked by attackers all the time, right? If it is, then it's a higher priority than something that you know attackers don't really attack that much, right? So that prioritization grows with time, but starts somewhere with the priority or so that developers know exactly which ones to tackle first. Have you ran into the problem of operationalizing this in terms of even things like whether it's in scope for PCI or not, whether it's being attacked and whether you're seeing any indicators of attack or not on those things? So those data sets live in completely different things. How do you bring it back to like the application security world and say, hey, you know, we found this dependency. It lives in a service that we are seeing being attacked in our runtime environment. So hence, you should prioritize this, right? Like, how do you connect all of that together? Yeah, it's very challenging. And that's exactly like, you know, why we're working on it, because these are challenging problems. And it's interesting to work on these. And this is something that we need. And we're currently working on those. 
So working here is like, you know, we have multiple teams. Like, for example, for the attack side, we need to work with a data scientist who can actually take all that data and make it in something that's consumable. And then the whole like ownership, we have a tool that kind of finds owners for all the attacks, we, for all the paths. Using that one system that I was talking about previously, alluding to it, like, you know, we have that security infrastructure platform, using that and building upon it to hydrate that information, to give context, add context, that's really important. And again, it's challenging. It's not easy. Even with the prioritization, right? Coming up with like, what priority inputs should be? How should we consider it as a high priority? is challenging. And uh, But again, having when you're building that program, when you're building these things, include the development team, include the other stakeholders to help you build those inputs, and that'll make it easy. Phenomenal. Yeah, these are super exciting problems that you all are solving. I'm quite looking forward to how it evolves over a period of time. These are all definitely, you know, the unsolved challenges that plague the application security industry in general. So before we close, any pieces of advice, any three pieces of advice that you might have for, you know, up and coming security professionals, application security professionals who are looking to grow in their career? Yeah, as I alluded before to, there's, I think the most important thing for a security professional is having empathy for the people they work with, the developers, you know, the stakeholders, the legal team, the product managers. And, you know, not having the mindset of like us versus them, like, let's work together. They are an expert in something different. We are an expert in security, but let's collaborate to get to the same thing that we want. We want a successful company, right? And working together, we can do those things. So I think having that empathy, having that mindset of like, let's work together is really important. Fantastic. How do you embody that empathy? Like, is there an example of something that you know, your team might have done or any concrete example that you can share on that topic? Yeah, even simple thing as a vulnerability management. When you're building that vulnerability management where we say that when an issue is found, we're going to triage to this team and this is how we're going to escalate. Instead of like just building in isolation where only security team is thinking about, engage the development team. Think about like from their perspective. Or like when we were trying to do mobile security and, you know, we wanted to get tools and see, we work with the mobile team to say like, hey, this is a tool. This is something that we want to do. Is it even useful for you? Would you even use it? Like, you know, you have so many things going on. Is this something that will add value to your product? And they, they were like, definitely, yes. And then we, we went through evaluation and they liked the results that were coming out. The worst thing that could happen is like, you know, you purchase a tool that you think would be good for the developers and good for the team, company. And in the end, no one's using it because they don't like the results or they don't see it as helpful for what they're working on. Right. So that's an interesting topic. And just one parting thought before we leave. There was recently a conference called Loco Mokosak. It happens in Hawaii. And I believe there was somebody from Netflix, if I'm not wrong, Patrick Thomas from Netflix, who gave a talk on productizing security. And that's exactly the topic that was discussed, which is when you're building security capabilities internally, think of it as a product and think of the rest mm-hmm. of the engineering organization Definitely. as your customer. So how do you embody that product management mindset when you're building security features, capabilities, and tools internally so you can truly provide a good service to the rest of the engineering organization to really up-level and scale your AppSec team? Exactly. Like when we build our products for security, we have like personas that we are catering to. Like just as like a product manager, uh, you know, when uh, pro- uh, you're creating a new product for your company, 
that's what we do for our security as well. We have personas thinking about like how, what use cases, what are the things that we want to think about. So that's exactly how we want to build security. Fantastic. Rajat, it has been a pleasure talking to you and I'm looking forward to having you again sometime soon. Same here, Arshal. Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.